whenever I accept an invitation to go anywhere, I start praying for the people. So for the last two, three months, I have a friend of mine that go around Andrews University every day, and we have been praying for you. Uh, I know two people here, but God knows all of you, and that's really what's important. I'm very happy to be with you. Uh, I was supposed to be with you last year, and we were supposed to be at the Oregon coast, but it didn't work out. So maybe in the future we could do that. Uh, the uh, Oregon coast, uh, the place we were going to go to, have very special memories for me because uh, my wife comes from here, from Portland, Oregon. And when we started dating, that was the first place we went to with her family. Thank you very much for a wonderful uh, worship service. My heart was very touched. Uh, tonight, I want to um, share with you of how a little boy made a great difference in the life of 20,000 people. I'm so happy to see a lot of young people here in the congregation. I'm going to uh, tell two stories. One of them is about a little boy in the Bible. And then a contemporary story of a woman who is 80 years old and a younger woman who is 25 years old. I like you to look at your hands. Some hands are very large, some are small, some are soft, some have a lot of calluses in them, but hands can be very powerful. When my son, who is six feet tall, when he was in high school, he wanted to be a professional basketball player. And his idol in life was Michael Jordan. So we went and bought him a basketball. And the price of that basketball, I still remember it was $21. But the same ball in the hands of Michael Jordan was worth $50 million. Because his hands know how to play that basketball. My daughter wanted to play baseball. And that was not that expensive, only $6 for the ball. But the same ball in the hands of Alex Rodriguez is worth $26 million because of his hands. But the greatest hands in all of history are the hands of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray that you will speak through me, that you will give me the words to say that will be a source of encouragement, a source of hope, 
a source to bring us closer to you so we could experience more of your presence and more of your love and more of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. One day there was a leopard. No one could go close to him. Very similar to what we experienced last year. We couldn't get close to each other. Uh, his wife couldn't hug him. His kids could not come close to him. But Jesus had compassion on him. And went and touched him. And healed him. Jesus brought health and vitality to that individual. One day there was a funeral of a little boy and the procession was leaving town as Jesus was going into town and Jesus looked into the eyes of the mother and he had compassion on her and he put his hand inside the coffin and the little boy came back to life. Isn't that amazing? The hands of Jesus could do miracles, could do the impossible. Well, one day, Christ wanted to have a time by himself. So he went to a secluded area. But the crowd knew where he went, so they followed him. And he spent the whole day teaching them and ministering to them. And at the end of the day, the disciples went to Jesus and said the following. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. By the way, this story is one of the very few stories in the Bible that is repeated four times. Most stories are repeated maybe twice, few are repeated three times, but this is one of them that is repeated four times. And in my Bible, I have at the top of verse 13, it says feeding the 5,000. Verse 15, Matthew 14, 15, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. Well, we have a problem. We have a crowd of 20,000 people because 5,000 men, you add 5,000 women, and if we go by the standard of our time, two kids, that would make it 20,000. It was actually probably much bigger than that because at that time they used to have eight kids. But we will just go with the standard of our time. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, you need to send the crowd away. Go with me to another place where this story is repeated. And that is the gospel of John chapter 6. 
Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. 200 denarii will be the equivalent of six months of wages. So even if we work for six months, we're not going to have enough money to buy just bread to feed this crowd. Well, they looked around, they went through the whole crowd, and they found a little boy. You know the story. This little boy had five loaves of barley and two fish, which indicates that the little boy came from a very poor family because the barley was for the poor and wheat was for the rich. Uh, actually, today we know that barley is better for you than wheat, but they didn't know that at that time. And he only had two fish, which means he had to eat three loaves flat, nothing in them. But he was willing to give of his lunch. And Jesus said, well, have the crowd sit on the grass. And they did. And Jesus took the bread and cut it in half. It was pita bread, flat bread. And every half became full. And he kept doing this with the bread and with the fish till about 20,000 people were fed with enough bread and enough fish. And the Bible tells us there was 12 baskets left over as a result of what Jesus did. One for every one of the doubting disciples. I'm going to draw a few lessons. Number one is that the disciples lived in a world of very limited possibilities. But Jesus lived in a world of unlimited possibilities. All what the disciples did was give excuses. Send them away. We don't have food. We can't work enough to come up with enough money to feed this crowd. But Jesus had unlimited possibilities. With just five loaves and two fish, he was able to feed a multitude of more than 20,000. You know, it's interesting. The Bible actually uses humor. So I'd like you to go with me back again to Matthew chapter 14. In chapter 14, we have the story of the feeding of the 
5,000 men and women and children, which makes it 20,000. But in chapter 15, there is another story. Very similar to the story that we just are talking about. So go with me to chapter 15. And I have the new, uh, the new King James. And at the top of verse 32, it says feeding of the 4,000. So now we have 4,000 men plus women plus children. So it's a smaller crowd. Same situation. And um, uh, Jesus said to them, why don't you give them something to eat? Look at verse 33. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? He just saw him doing it a chapter earlier. But they forgot. I think we have a tendency to forget that our God could do the impossible. We, we think about our limitations and we think he also has the same limitation. But he is the God of the possibilities. He, he fed two million people in the desert. He fed 120 people at the time of Elijah. He could do it. And he could do it today as he did it in the past. But we tend to forget what a great and awesome God we have. The other lesson I like to draw from this is that the hero of this story is a little boy. You will think that in a crowd of 20,000 people, there are other people who have brought lunches with them. But none of them was willing to give it away. We don't know his name. We don't know his tribe. We don't know his address. We don't know anything about this little boy. But God used him in a very powerful way to feed such a great multitude of people. Think about it. That means whether you are a little boy or a little girl or an old man or an old woman, it doesn't matter, or anywhere in between, God could use you. And God has a wonderful plan for your life, a great plan. Well, on a Friday afternoon, I got a telephone call from my conference president. He said, Pastor Joe, I am coming over to your area on Wednesday. Can we go out to dinner? I said, as long as you pay, I will go out to dinner with you anytime you want me. So on Wednesday afternoon, we went out to dinner. There was a lot of chit-chats. And I knew there must be a reason for him wanting to meet with me. 
And I'm waiting for him to get to the main point, the agenda. Well, finally he did. He said, we are really hurting at the conference. Tithe is low. And we have to lay off three pastors. But the pastor of the church adjacent to you have accepted a call to go outside of our conference. So we thought about giving you one of his churches and giving his other church to the pastor on the other side. So in this case, we will only have to lay off two pastors. He said, oh, no problem. We would love to have another church. We already have a large church and we planted another one. I said, no problem. We would love to have another one. Just tell me more about this church. He said, a group of German immigrants came to this valley next to you. And they built the most magnificent church in the whole valley. Beautiful auditorium. Beautiful community service. Beautiful school. And he said, the place grew up and uh, they had more than 120 in attendance. I said, great, this is awesome. But I said, what about today? Because I noticed everything he was talking about was in the past. I said, what about today? He said, well, because of internal fightings, this group of people, it dwindled down to 13. I said, that's fine, no problem. Uh, are they interested in evangelism? He said, the last time they did any kind of evangelism was 26 years ago. I said, have they had any baptism? He said, the last time they had any baptism was 20 years ago. I said, I don't want this church. <laughs> he said, it is yours. It's our gift to you. So the whole thing was a done deal, really. Uh, he just came to announce it to me. I said, fine. So, in a couple weeks after that, I went to this church for the first time. I took my wife and my two kids. I didn't see 13 people. Never saw 13. The highest number I saw was nine people. But they were people of hope because if you add my wife, myself, and my two kids, that will make it 13 people. I um, thought about this church. I went to my office one day, and I prayed, and I asked the Lord to give me some ideas to revive this church. So I wrote, 10 things to revive this church. And I went to my first board meeting. And I thought, before I get into the main points of those 10 points that I put together, maybe I should break the ice. So I said, I noticed that we really don't have any means of communication in this church. No bulletin, 
no phone tree, no email. So I am suggesting maybe we should start having some bulletins, some other means of communication. Had elder stood up. He was always in the habit of standing up every time he talked. And he talked with a very thick German accent. And he said, Pastor, that is a ridiculous idea. There is no need to have any bulletins or anything else. There are only 13 of us. We already know everything that needs to be known. And plus, this is going to ruin the environment. He went on and on for two hours how the 13 bulletins we were going to print were going to destroy the environment. And by the time he was done, I checked out. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to go home. So I refined my points, went back again to my second board meeting a month later. And uh, I said, before I get into my items, I need to break the ice. So I said, I noticed we never have potlucks with each other. It would be very nice to have potlucks so we could get to know each other better. Had elder stood up, my heart went down. Every time this guy said anything, my heart just sank deep inside of me. And he said, Pastor, that is the worst idea I ever have heard in my life. I said, why? It is nice to eat with each other. He said, Pastor, I have to be honest and tell you that if we eat with each other, we will kill each other. And he went on for two hours telling me about the history of the conflicts that they have had in this church. By the time he was done, I was depressed. I just wanted to go home. I didn't care about anything. So I went home. Third month, this time I decided I am not going to break the ice. I am going to go with my main items. So I, I said, um, I noticed we don't have any Sabbath school for the children. And there was a good reason why they did not have a Sabbath school for the children. Because the youngest person in that church was a woman. Her name was Edna, and she was 81 years old. That was the youngest person in that church, 81 years old. But my idea was, we go out into the neighborhood and invite the kids to come, have some Bible lessons for them, some crafts, some food, Hopefully, if they like it enough, maybe they will invite their mom and dad and other people. Had elder stood up, my heart went down. And he said, that is not a bad idea. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And then he said, as long as you will be in it. And then he proceeded to say, I was 
the worst pastor he ever have seen in his life. And he will take the time for the Sabbath school to teach me how to become a better pastor. And then he spent another hour or so telling all of the people who were there about all of my faults and all of my problems. I was very, very depressed. I left. And I was really, really discouraged. So I called a friend of mine. I said, this is the situation. I don't know what to do. He said, I have the solution for you. I said, what is it? He said, first, you need to pray the prayers of John Knox. He was a reformer from Scotland. I said, I don't know his prayers. He said, he prayed that God will give him Scotland or he will die. I said, I'm not praying this prayer. I don't want to die. He said, you are not going to die. But you need to pray this prayer. That God will give you this valley, this church. And then he said, do you remember that story in the Bible? Of how Jesus fed 20,000 people. And how the whole thing happened when a little boy surrendered his lunch to Jesus. I said, yes. He said, well, this church is not your church. It is Jesus' church. And you need to surrender it to Jesus. So right there, it probably was about 11.30 at night, we prayed and we surrendered that church to Jesus. And I had peace. The Bible talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what I experienced at that moment. I felt God was with me. I felt in spite of all of the problems that I have had. God is going to do something here. So the following day, I drove to where that church was. The church was in a valley surrounded by hills. So I parked my car and I start walking on these hills and I claimed that valley for Jesus. I prayed, I pleaded with God that he will give me that valley that he will revive that church. I did that every day. The only day I skipped was Sabbath. Because I had three churches I had to take care of. But every other day I will go there. And I will have my prayer walks. And then I started to preach to that congregation about prayer. If you remember in the Bible, revival is always associated with a prayer. 
In Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus went into heaven, he said to his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. I claim those promises from the Bible. Every revival, in fact, every book you read about revival is always connected with a prayer. And White says, no revival will ever happen without prayer. And I, I just prayed every day. I, I went over there and I prayed. I claim promises from the Bible. I spent an hour just walking and claiming the promises and praying. And then I decided I'm going to preach to the congregation about prayer. And one day, my sermon was on intercessory prayer, which is praying for other people. One individual got the vision, and that was Edna, the youngest person, the 81 years old. She was really moved by that sermon. So she went home. She was a widower. Her husband had died like a couple of years earlier. She knelt by her bed and said, Lord, Pastor Joe urged us to pray for someone. I don't know who to pray for. You tell me who to pray for. And immediately, God put the name of Michelle on her heart. Michelle was a young lady who just happened to be her neighbor, about 25 years old, but was in the habit of breaking all of the Ten Commandments every day a million times. She was totally messed up girl. She slept with a different guy every night. She was on a drug. She was alcoholic. Sometimes she stole to support her habits. She have been in and out of jail. So as soon as that name came to Edna, she said, Lord, that is the wrong name. Give me another name to pray for. And... Uh, God kept telling her, that's the name I want you to pray for. Finally, Edna surrendered. And she started to pray for her neighbor, Michelle. And God gave her love for that young lady. That's really what intercessory prayer does. It helps us to love other people from the bottom of our hearts she started to connect with her she started to visit with her she will take her bread as she baked and on a Friday night most of the time she will invite her over to her house and have wonderful supper for her uh, they established a wonderful relationship it was great relationship Edna became a mentor to Michelle. That's what God does. 
One day I went to the board and I said, I'd like to do an evangelistic meeting here. Had elders stood up, my heart didn't go down because I, I have been praying. It's not my church, it's Jesus' church. And he said, we tried that 26 years ago. It didn't work. We're not going to try it again. And then he went on and on how all of these evangelism, whatever they are, they don't work. I listen. And then at the end, I said, look, I'll make a deal with you. You allow me to do this one more time. And if it doesn't work, I would never ask you to do anything after that. He said, are you willing to put it in writing and sign your name to it? So I have to sign a document that if this evangelistic meeting does not work, I'm not asking this church anything. Well, I left the board meeting and I called my conference president. I said, look, this is the situation. I would like you to double the amount of money you give to a church of this size. He said, I will triple it. I said, I have more from you. Would you please send an email asking all of the members of the conference to pray for me and for my church? He said, done. I called all of my friends and asked them to fast and pray for this evangelistic meeting. The evangelistic meeting was going to start on Friday night. On a Tuesday of that same week, Michelle went hunting with her mother. She drank, she became disoriented, and she shot her mother, mistaking her for a deer. The mother survived, but the experience shook her up. For comfort, she went to Edna. And Edna did a marvelous job ministering to this young lady. She even had her stay in her house. She uh, just gave her new hope. Well, on Friday night, I went to the church about 5 p.m., the evangelistic meeting was going to start at 7 p.m. And this church had a side room. Maybe there is a side room over here. I don't know. So I went to that side room after I set up my slides. And I knelt down and I prayed for more than an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. I just pleaded with God that he would bring the people and that something out of the ordinary will take place. And then I came out, 6.30, no one is there, no one. And then few people start showing up, but they all were my nine people. Finally, all nine came, and, and Edna brought Michelle with her. 
That's it. No one else came. We advertised. We put it in the paper. We sent a flyer to every home. We went out in the neighborhood. We knocked on doors. We gave them the flyer. We invited them to come. No one came. So I became angry with God. I said, Lord, why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to the church? Uh, I cannot do anything anymore. And then I said, well, I'm going to preach. I have the slides and the slides were on the second coming of Christ. And I opened my mouth and nothing came out. God shut my mouth. I tried again. Nothing comes out. And I became very uncomfortable. And the people start to be uncomfortable. This went on for five minutes. I'm struggling to open my mouth and to preach and nothing comes out. And finally, I heard God in my mind telling me, forget about the second coming. I want you to preach about my love. And for 45 minutes, I preached a sermon I did not prepare for. Just God gave it to me. I told stories from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, from my own life about the love of God. I found God on the streets of Baghdad. That's where I came from Nineveh originally. But I found Jesus on the streets of Baghdad and he changed my life. And I told them that. And I looked at Michelle. I kind of knew who she was. And I said to her, God is not interested in your past. All of your past is forgiven. But God has a wonderful future for you. God has a marvelous future. Remember the text in Jeremiah? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a better future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I said, that is God's plan for your life. We have a God who is a forgiving God. And I told her about the forgiveness that we received from Jesus. And then I gave an altar call. And um, just two people came to the front. Uh, one of them was Edna, and she dragged Michelle to the front. She, th that's the only reason why she came to the front, because she brought Michelle to the front. I prayed, and everybody left except the three of us. And we sat there in the front of the church, so I brought a chair and the two ladies sat over there and I sat in front of them and I started to explain the gospel to this young lady. I told her that if she was the only person on planet earth, Jesus would still have died for her. I said to her that if she accepts Jesus, she could be a new person, a new woman in Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. That we are a new creation. And um, I, I kept explaining to her the plan of salvation. And 
how sin just separated us from God, but Jesus, by his act on the cross and his resurrection, brought us in harmony with God. And um, as I am explaining to her all of these things, about two o'clock in the morning, she started to cry. I will never forget that, that moment. She said, I don't have to sleep with a different guy every night to feel loved. Jesus loves me. It's like the light of God started to shine in her heart. And then she said, I don't have to do drugs anymore to feel good about myself. Jesus loves me. Everything about her changed at that moment. Everything. That is Jesus' specialty. Giving salvation. Giving a new life. Redemption. I said to her, Michelle, would you, give, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? She said, yes. I said, well, pray after me. And she prayed after me and gave her heart to Jesus. And she's crying and Edna is crying and hugging her. And I'm crying. And I, I, I said, I have made many decisions in my life. But the one I never felt sorry about was to accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And I know the same will happen to you. And then I went to the table in the back that had some Bibles in it and got a Bible and I said, Michelle, I'm going to give you this Bible as a gift from the church. And I'm going to put a marker on the Gospel of John. This is chapter one. And I like you tomorrow when you wake up to open the Bible and read chapter one and come back tomorrow evening. It was at least 2.30 in the morning. We all were very, very tired. We left and I had two services I had to go to, the main church and the church plant. And then in the evening, I went back again to this church and I went at 5 p.m again set up my slides I went to the side room and I prayed and then I came out and I looked at the audience and I saw my nine people my faithful nine Plus, I saw Michelle sitting right there. Plus, 54 more people. 54 more people came. Here's what happened. 
Michelle took the Bible in the morning and started reading chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. She read about the word that became a flesh and it dwelled among us. And she was thrilled. She was amazed. She was excited. That's actually what the Bible talks about, that when people heard Jesus, they were amazed. So she moved to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we have the first miracle that Jesus performed, which led his disciples to believe in him. And when she read that, she knelt down beside her bed and prayed that God will give her faith and will strengthen her faith. And the word of God is getting hold of her. It's touching her heart. So she decided to read more. So she read chapter 3. And of course, chapter 3 has the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And she was thrilled to know that she's part of that whosoever believes in him. And then she moved to chapter 4 and she quit. What is in chapter 4? Does anybody remember what is in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John? The Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman met Jesus at the well. He told her things about her life. She was amazed. She went back home to the village. She told everyone in the village about Jesus. You have to remember the Samaritan woman at that time and is still up to now in the Middle East had zero credibility. She was the equivalent of a prostitute. But the experience, the encounter with Jesus was so compelling. The whole village, the Bible says, came to see Jesus. The whole village. Michelle said, if this woman in the Bible can do it, I can do it too. So she got on the phone the whole day. She invited all of her friends, all of her family to come to hear more about Jesus. 54 of them showed up. Her experience was so compelling, just like the Samaritan woman, 54 people came. And that was really the start of that evangelistic meeting. At the end of the meeting, five weeks later, Michelle got baptized. And 11 more of her family in a church that have not had any baptism for 20 years. They more than doubled overnight. That was the first miracle. And then God took two women, one in her 80s, 
the other one at 25. And through them, through their ministry, through their prayers, brought a revival to that church. Those two women build a culture of prayer in that church. A culture of seeking God because revival really is having more of God in us. That's, that's the simplest definition of it. Having more of Jesus in us, in our homes, in our churches, in our lives. I had that church for less than five years. First Sabbath I was there, there were nine people plus my family, four of us. Five years later, we gave that church to somebody else. I was back with my family. There were still nine people there, which shows you that I was a terrific pastor because not one of them died in the five years I was there. And yet when I arrived, the youngest one was 81. By that time, she was 86. Well, there were some in their 90s. I took good care of them. So you have the nine people, plus my family, all four of us were there, plus Michelle, who became a very prominent leader in that church, a strong believer in a prayer, a strong believer in revival, a strong believer that we need to experience God's presence in us all the time. Plus, 179 more people. God did an amazing miracle. God did the impossible. All of that because we surrender that church to Jesus. Imagine what God can do through you. In the Bible, we have a little boy. The story I told you this evening as a woman who is 81 and another woman who is 25. And the point is, no matter who you are, whether a little boy or an old woman or anywhere in between, if you surrender everything to Jesus, your life itself will be a miracle. And that miracle will spill over all of the people who are around you. There's one more miracle I have to tell you about. You might wonder what happened to my head elders. At the end of the meeting, he came to me and he said, Pastor Joe, can we do this again next year? God changed his heart. Remember, God's specialty is changing hearts. 
Would you like to have the same experience happening to you? If that is the desire from the bottom of your heart, you want to be used by God, I'd like you to stand up. I actually like to invite you to the front, but I don't know about the protocol of, uh, of the mask and all of that stuff. So just stand up where you are and um, just pray that God will use your life to bring witness to him that your life will be a miracle, that God will use you in an amazing way. Father in heaven, you are a great God. And we read this story in the Bible. There is a purpose why it is repeated four times to tell us that Jesus want to feed us and, and 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 tonight as we read it as we reflected on it i pray that you the bread of life will satisfy our hunger because that's what revival is all about you'll satisfy our thirst for you our desire for you and Lord, I pray that a revival will start in this place. And that will start with each one of us. Start with me. Start with you. Lord, I pray that you will bless everyone here. Their homes, their families, their businesses. And that you will bless this church. And I, I pray that as we come out of this pandemic... It will be a, a shining light in this community, bringing many to know you, to know your love and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.